Hello, everyone. My name is Suki Thompson. Welcome to Reset, the podcast, a place for you to get some inspiration and advice to help you live a more fulfilling work life. I do hope that your journey to feel more connected, more inspired, just a bit more energized starts here. Take a moment now with me to reset. Keith Weed has just been awarded a CBE in the New Year's Honours List, and it's not hard to see why. He's one of the most experienced and high-profile men in marketing. He's also one of the most energetic. In this Reset podcast, the ex-global chief marketing officer of Unilever talks about energy and the importance to him of creating a team culture, and why the breakdown of one of his colleagues led him on a path to well-being. Oh, and do stay to the end to hear his fascinating story about the hotel bombing in India. Hi, Keith. How are you? I'm very well. Nice to see you, Suki. Lovely to see you. And oh my gosh, what an amazing mojito you've got. Well, I have to say um, the mint, which is large amounts, I love, I love mint. I'm a sort of a mint tea drinker, is um, from my, my garden. And it's about, um, let me see, 25 metres uh, from where I'm sitting right now to get a big handful of mint. So I've got a big handful of mint in here. I confess I did not grow the limes, um, but I did make the mojito. Very good. Well, I thought that a mojito, a liar's mojito for you and I is probably a, a fitting place for us to start our conversations. We've spent lots of time together in Cannes, uh, for which those people that don't know is, is one of the big marketing industry festivals in France every year. Um, and, and we've spent lots of lovely time there together, haven't we, Keith? Yes, I think it's um, coming together as an industry are always uh, you know, good times to sort of take stock, you know, where are we, where we want to go, um, but also importantly to meet people um, and spend some time with people and learn from each other. And um, I have to confess, I think, um, I'm not sure I drank any liars. Um, there was nothing very non-alcoholic in Canada, but um, maybe, maybe that's a market opportunity for them. Uh, maybe it's a market opportunity. Gosh, I think we could have done without quite so much alcohol anyway. Um, and actually, it made me think, you know, I, one of the things that I always admired about you in Cannes was you had, um, you used to say that you had about five clean shirts and you would be very sensibly driving up and down, changing your shirt so you looked effortlessly cool in all the meetings that you were at. And it, and it kind of made me reflect, you, know, you had an extraordinary career at Unilever. Was there a particular moment where you went, you know, I really am probably the best marketer in the world um, <laughs> certainly one of the most influential because you know you kind of sent everyone in a flutter whenever you were around well that's very sweet i'm not sure that's uh, uh, quite true but um i, I think there's one, one of a, a group of people who were very much trying to shape uh, the industry at a time of um massive change i mean at the end of the day marketing and advertising um it's changed more in the last five years than the previous 25 years uh, and of course, the, the big thing of that was the, the internet and all, all that followed, but it's still uh, changing. So the internet was massive, but of course, mobile 
changed all again. And we still haven't cracked data, the opportunities of really getting to personalization and individualization uh, as was promised uh, with India, but we will do. So I think the shaping of the business, and we've seen you know, with the big tech companies, the unintended consequences. Um, you know, I've spent a lot of time, uh, I went to Silicon Valley very early. Um, it was quite lucky actually in some ways, sort of chosen and needed to understand what was going on. And it, it wasn't obvious, it, it might seem so now, but it wasn't obvious back in 2009, 2010, that a, a soup and soap company um, like Unilever would need to uh, have a big digital um, sort of uh, capability. And so as far as that was concerned, you know, I went out there and those are the days we actually sat down and, and spoke to Mark Zuckerberg and, uh, and the like, and, um, uh, and spent some time because they were you know, finding their way as well. Um, and I suppose, you know, I say luck, but you know, Napoleon says he preferred lucky generals. So um, maybe I was a lucky general at the time to get out there early. But it meant that I got to know the, the, the people and the businesses in such a way that I, I can really say that a lot of the things that are happening right now, of course, were never intended. Um, but we need to manage them and change um, and, and evolve the platforms accordingly. So I spent a lot of time working as on the, you know, the first Facebook client council and likewise for Twitter, um, you know, working closely with the industry to try and shift and change it. And in that, um, I'm a great believer is you need to live the space. And so you would never imagine someone who only listened to radio um, have a, a view about uh, creating a TV commercial. You do expect them to be able to, um, mm -hmm. to understand TV commercials. But I think still too often, particularly senior people, are not really engaged enough in the digital world, given that we're spending you know, way over half our uh, media, uh, depending on what markets you are in the world, but way over half our media on digital platforms. And so still too often people judge a brand's advertising by you know, sharing the 30, 20, 15 second uh, TV film or indeed the video, as opposed to really experiencing online. So that's why I am active on Twitter and, uh, and LinkedIn and, and Facebook. And um, I'm actually developing a new muscle. I haven't been big on Instagram, but uh, with one of my new roles, which we'll come on to um, as president of the World Horticultural Society, uh, I'm now using Instagram to communicate about plants and gardens and that sort of stuff. Yes. Really trying to say is, is immersing yourself uh, in the big changes has been a big thing. And, and yes, uh, Forbes and LinkedIn, three years on the run, uh, said I was the most influential CMO in the world. And um, I was the, the market of the year from the World Federation of Advertisers. So I've got a few um, uh, bits of recognition. But um, hopefully what I managed to do was, was uh, be some sort of um, sense of, of reason and experience at a time of tremendous turbulence in the in the industry and tried to help uh, people within Unilever but also the industry to to shape um, where we were going. Yeah and I think you absolutely did that and I and uh, you know when you when you hear it like that the kind of massive change that you've lived through been part of the journey you've gone through and you know and I guess being voted the most influential marketer of course you know could it could go to your head although you are very well grounded I think but what gives you that sense of gravity do you get that from your family have you had that from your work colleagues where where do you find that gravity sits for you um, well, to be fair, it probably helps being um, the CMO of the second largest advertiser in the world. Um, so, dare I say, money talks. And um, so, when I talked, um, I was being listened to, hopefully, as as Keith Weed, but I was also being listened to as the second um, biggest advertiser in the world. 
Um, and so that, that certainly helps. Um, I think also helps, I was in Unilever for many years. I started as a, as a marketing trainee and um, you know, worked uh, my, my way up to, uh, to being on the, um, uh, the, on the operating board. And, uh, and Unilever was fantastic at training and developing people and leadership, et cetera. So I think I was, I was well um, developed as far as management development uh, schemes and I had some good mentors on the way. And, and people I'm still meeting now, in one of my, my new roles, I'm, I'm on the, the audit committee of, of Sainsbury's. And one of the first people I reached out to was Niall Fitzgerald, who was the CEO of Unilever three, four CEOs ago. Um, and um, and he's, he's chaired many an audit committee. And, um, and you know, Niall has been coaching me on, on that. So these people, and he's long retired, uh, these people are still you know, active in your life. So I think some you know, good, good mentoring, some good training, um, and um, and having a reasonable um, heavyweight company behind me has all helped. Yeah, yeah. Look, the um, this podcast all about resetting. Um, and before we come on to a couple of the kind of big resets in your life that we want to talk about, there must be moments in your career where you know perhaps things haven't gone exactly according to plan, or you've had to reset where you were, do something you hadn't expected. On reflection, share one of those moments with me where you've had to, to kind of take a different direction or just, you know, change, change your way of thinking. Yeah, of course, there's, there's been numerous. Um, and, um, and I know it's one of those terrible hackneyed comments, but you do learn more from your mistakes than your successes. Um, and so if there's only a consolation for someone who's going through a difficult time right now um you will learn so much and when you come out on the other side which indeed you will um you will have learned a, a huge amount I mean, it's, it's a winston churchill quote about when you're going through hell keep going yeah. um, is a thought um, uh, that, um i sort of remember on, on occasions and i suppose the one i'd share is this is when i would I basically spent my career, although I ended my career uh, with Unilever as the chief marketing officer, I'd spent my career as a general manager, as, as so many people do, running companies. And uh, um, I'd worked in the US, France, and the UK. I'd worked Lever Brothers and Lever Fabergé, um, if you remember those companies before we became one Unilever, and um, in the UK. And, and everything um, up within that scheme was sort of going well. And I was approached by Patrick Sesco, who was the then CEO. And he said to me, I'd like you to take over the laundry and home care business. So this is personal and comfort and domestic yeah. and SIF and um, sort of uh, things that, you know, serve, you know, clean your clothes, clean your home. Uh, and um, uh, globally, so this was the home care division, as we called it, or the laundry and home care division. Uh, and the, the basic, his basic brief was um, the trouble is, is is we're losing share, um, and um, and it's very unlike Patrick. He said there are a load of losers behaving like losers, which is quite a harsh um, thing to say. <laughs> yeah, uh, really harsh. Country, but of course, like all things, there's an essence of truth. Well, also Patrick was it was a was a great great CEO. He was the one who actually fundamentally turned around Unilever. So in the early uh, 2000s, Unilever lost its way, P&G had won, Unilever were losing, let's be clear, let's be honest, um, uh, it was a tough time, we'd sold our frozen food business, we'd sold our prestige business, household care, which was part of the business I was taking over, Domestos and Sif, was on the, the, the block to be sold next, 
And um, uh, so I took over this business. Now, I've been running this fantastic business in the UK, Lever Brothers and, and uh, Anita Fabergé. So it's everything from Dove through to Purcell. Um, and I sort of got to this terrible stage where I'm believing in myself maybe a little bit too much. So I thought, um, well, you know, I need to go in and, and, and sort this business out. And it's a massive business. And these laundry businesses are scale businesses. So when they go well, they go very well because you get the whole... Um, scale advantage and of course when they go badly and you lose volume all the costs smother you um, and you decline and shrink and so um, I go in to uh, take over this this business and uh, and you know there was a lot of men running this laundry business and they turned it into um, a big business which indeed it was and we spent all our time talking about capital expenditure and investment and R&D etc and clearly not enough time talking about consumers and it's very easy if you come in afresh to see things with clear eyes. Um, but we had basically um, diluted down the formulas to manage the profit line. Um, and the, the world hand washes a few hundred million people like you and me who have a, have a washing machine. But the billions of people in the world wash clothes in a bucket in a stream. And they can tell very quickly if your hands are in your product twice a day, whether you're diluting your fragrance or your efficacy, etc. And um, so I basically made the whole thing focused back to product is hero, which is the line, consumer is king, product is hero, were the two mantras. And I started every meeting with getting people to wash their clothes, wash clothes, hand wash, um, and, um, and get people involved in the product. And I brought in, unsurprisingly, a lot more women, including Alini Santos, who's now um, the head of marketing and inclusion and diversity for Unilever, but um, she was then um, uh, um, working in, in uh, Brazil. Uh, Alini Santos was a fantastic marketer, came in to run the personal brand globally, Dirt Is Good as it's called, it's OMO, et cetera. Um, and we got back to the consumer, back investing in product um, and started building brands. Um, and, um, and that, in theory, along with a strategy about taking the fight to PNG, was gonna work. Well, six months in, it hadn't changed at all. The business was still tanking. Um, and, um, uh, uh, and the pressure on, on myself was coming in immense because um, I was brought in to turn it around and I, I wasn't doing that at all. And I really thought that was it. And I remember saying to my wife, um, do you know what, I've bitten off um, uh, um, a bite too many. Um, we were, I'm probably going to have to leave you and leave it or get fired. Uh, so start thinking about where the kids might go to school um, or um, you know, et cetera. Uh, we'll probably have to sell the house. I'd really got into a, a quite a negative mindset. Uh, although as Alini always reminds me, he said, you didn't tell us you thought you couldn't do it. <laughs> so I, I carried on the, the good um, uh, positive about uh, we're going to turn this around and um, the good old fake it until you can make it. Um, we're going to turn this around. But internally, I just thought, wow, this is, this is not going to work. Um, um, uh, but, you know, keeping on the fundamentals and then putting a lot more effort into um, uh, managing the team. Uh, and so although yeah. I brought in a few more women at the top, um, uh, there was some truth in what Patrick said. They were harsh words, but we were no longer playing to, to, to win. We were avoiding losing. And so we've got in this whole negative space of managing the business at all sorts of levels, including the people, into avoiding losing territory. And we were losing rather than playing to win. So how are we going to get on our front foot uh, again? And so actually, 
um, uh, we, we had a, a strategy called a citadel strategy, which, as you've seen in the movie, citadels is when you put a wall around a big business or a big town, and then the enemy comes to starve you out. And that's what was really happening. We had some massive and fantastic businesses around the world. Don't get me wrong, in Brazil and South Africa, so Unilever were winning in many places, but not winning globally. Um, and then we basically step by step hung in there and picked some battles and started winning them. And when you started getting evidence that actually reinvesting in the product, building brands like Dirt is Good for Purcell and, 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 and Surf as a, as a value brand, um, and indeed Domestos with the, the, the germs and, and, and et cetera. So good old marketing, dare I say, good old marketing, but good products. It started turning around, but it was the investment in people. And, and what I talked a lot about was about people managing their energies um, individually um, and, um, and helping others to manage their energy too. So you know, my, my, my sort of uh, definition of leadership, I and mean, we all have definitions of leadership, but my definition of leadership is helping people uh, be at their best more of the time. So all of us um, have a bit of brilliance, a big slug of average, um, and um, um, a bit of uh, rubbish, yeah? Um, and you know, if you can stop people being rubbish a little bit uh, uh, more and brilliant a lot more, um, mm. you can raise the capability of an organization really, really well. Yeah. Um, and one of the things I think people need to get their mind around is this, this managing energy uh, part, which I'm very happy to, to go on uh, and talk yes. about. But, but the bit I really wanted to emphasize was it was a tough time we managed the group, we managed the energy, we got people into winning ways again. And when I left five years later, so this was um, uh, 2005 to 2010, um, the laundry and home care business was the fastest growing business uh, in Unilever. And now another 10 years later, it is still the fastest growing business in Unilever. So not only did we turn it around for the last 10 years after I left and became CMO, which was my sort of space reward for doing that, uh, it's still the fastest growing uh, business. So. To me, there's evidence that it's all about the people. Of course, you need strategy, etc. It's all about the people. And if you can get people to start uh, playing to win um, and managing their energies, um, you can get on, on such a good uh, fun. For I had an amazing guy in HR, which I'll come on and talk about as well, Jeff McDonald, mm -hmm. um, who uh, helped me uh, and the people on that. Yeah, let, and, let, and let's come on to that because, and I love your point about enabling people to be better to be at their best for more of the time it, it's a it's a great you know kind of mantra and a leadership um, ideal to help those people be less less bad at the stuff they're bad at and, and more brilliant at the stuff that they can really do um, you know and we've talked Keith and, and some of the purpose of today is to talk about mental health and well-being and energy um, perhaps we could come back to the moment um, we talked a little bit about Jeff McDonald, who was working with you in HR at that time. What happened to make you focus very much more specifically on, on mental health of your people and your team to, to enable performance to improve, but also for people's well-being to increase? Well, to be clear, um, I, I really believe at the end of the day, it is all about the people and as I say if, if you can get every individual to be that little bit better the overall impact of what you can create um, is massive but in doing that well first of all you do need to get the right people on the bus um, and, um, uh, and and we did have to make some difficult uh, people decisions which by again is also stressful because I'm ultimately a, a relationships and, and people driven person so for me um, I find that quite 
uh, personally traumatic when you have to start uh, reshaping uh, a team. And, 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 it's, and it's interesting, Keith, isn't it? Because, you know, you often look at leaders who've done very well and they all say, you know, you have to get rid of people. Of course, you have to get rid of the people that can't perform or, or the changes happen. But it's interesting that actually it doesn't become any easier, really, does it? No, because at the, no, at the end of the day, um, you know, when you're sitting on a strategy, uh, I think the, the most um, uh, effective way to get people um, um, to engage on the journey is to be clear about a future uh, vision um, and, and be able to express that vision in different ways. Some people are more engaged to legacy thoughts, others are about big numbers, a billion, or other people about um, you know, uh, developing people. So try and find a, a future vision which can talk to different people in your team. Uh, and then really uh, invest in uh, engaging people. So I used to spend a lot of time around the world engaging people. So absolutely, you need the, the, the right sort of uh, uh, people. But the vast majority of people, in a big company like Unilever, the vast majority of that people are good quality people. And what they probably haven't been done is either led, inspired, or, or, or managed enough. So um, in that sort of uh, um, path you uh, want to get through when you're sort of trying to turn a business around from at the base level of, sort of resistance where people are coming with you uh, to apathy which is a bit better than resistance but not much uh, into compliance which is still bad news because people are now complying but not coming with you through to enrollment ah oh, now we have some magic into commitment uh, that journey um, is, is, I think, is a leadership journey to take people through. And, and so set your future vision, then spend a lot of time engaging people, building relationships, people taking people out that journey. So then you can deliver, make things happen, deliver results. So sort of future engaged delivers the sort of leadership model I use against that sort of definition of, me, of you know, helping people be the best more of the time. And that requires a, a really serious approach to uh, people management. So you need... You need a team around you. I believe as a leader, you need a support system around you. You, you need people who um, know what you're trying to achieve and help you stay connected to what you care about um, and will embrace the big picture, the whole, as much as you do. You need to work on the little stuff. You know, everything is, is about building up the little, but you need to embrace the big picture, the, the whole. Um, and so you, you end up being guided by the future you want. Um, and and that, that direction, and if you can get everyone along that direction, it's, it's incredibly powerful. But that's when it comes back to one of the people you really need. You need to me, you need two people in your team. One, you need a great finance person. We can come on and talk about that. Uh, but you need, I think you need a great HR person, a people person, and someone who's going to um, uh, help you unlock uh, uh, people. And, um, and there are some people who come into a room and just suck the oxygen out of the air. Um, and as the, suction, the oxygen out of the air, so goes all the possibilities and opportunities and people are worrying about, you know, what is the brand share in Birmingham, in um, Asda or whatever, um, and, and, you know, we're ready to be, to, to be held to account um, and, and, and get people get defensive and, and people get smaller. Um, and I, I, I'm a great believer that if you can bring with you um, uh, positive energy um, and, and, and help people, as I say, be at their best more of the time, you have you know, more um, possibilities. And with more possibilities come more opportunities. And with that, more priorities and actions and more results. But if you um, don't help people manage their energy, um, 
uh, and it starts with the leaders. I really do believe it starts with the leaders because they have a shadow and they create under them, this is the way we do business around here. And I think what you want to do is help your leaders understand the role of first was managing their own energy. So if you are low energy, no matter how good you are at faking it, you will ultimately bring people lower around you. And, and that's why I think you need to think about your energies, this sort of physical energy, which I think is very obvious to understand. You know, if you're tired, if you're, if you're unfit, if you haven't had a good sleep, if you're um, uh, feeling um, uh, uh, under the weather, I think it's very easy to understand. You, you won't bring you know, positive action, making things happen type energy. I think it's equally easy to understand intellectual energy. You know, we do that a lot in business. It's about thinking, analysis, uh, logic, rational debate. But of course, on the negative side of intellectual energy is, is, is criticism and finding fault and suppressing. And, um, and all these things you know, pull down passion and, and enthusiasm. The two we don't talk about so much, but I think are terribly important in business, is emotional energy. So this is about relationships and, and you know, being human and, and you know, people feeling listened to. Uh, um, and, and if, if they are, they feel you know, excluded or anxious. And spiritual energy, where we talk about vitality and being alive and uh, in touch with enthusiasm and passion and possibilities. And, and, and certainly, I believe, is, is these all are interconnected. But if you can help people consciously, particularly um, people in more leadership positions initially, understand the impact they have on people around them uh, in those different areas, they can identify the people they're working with and, and help them sort of, you know, be at their, their best and understand, you know, actually, you know, you should let that person go home early because they're not, they're sort of people who don't react well to being uh, a lot of physical energy demands, but, you know, you know, but then be more challenging on their other energies, et cetera. So understanding people and managing them accordingly. But when business gets tough, and let's be clear right now, life is pretty tough for virtually everyone. Mm. And extremely tough, uh, I think, for young people particularly, um, and uh, people who are being challenged about I I employment. Um, there come a, a lot of things that start questioning the core of who you are, and the people around you could help support that. And Jeff was a very important person in that. I say 2005, we started this battle. Um, to turn the business around and it started happening in more in 2006 so five is a tough tough year but come 2008 um, Jeff became ill himself and um, uh, he had a major burnout um, and uh, I had had um, uh, uh, you know I'd had friends um, close friends and, and let's be clear uh, not the majority of my male friends the vast majority of my male friends uh, I've had some sort of problem at some sort of time. So uh, to me, maybe I, I'm, I'm an, a, unusual, but this idea that people say, you know, half the people have this, no, I don't see half at all. Um, I, I'm talking about you know, more than 80% uh, of, of my close male friends. Like, the reason why I say close male friends, because it's not that if people are close, you actually know, because you know, people very easily talk about their broken arm or cracked ribs or whatever. Uh, but people feel much more uneasy um, about talking about uh, challenges, um, either uh, emotion, emotionally or spiritually or through to well-being and, uh, and mental health. I think and particularly, I from, I think particularly uh, Keith. Jeff's wife. 
sorry, I was just going to say, Keith, particularly men, I think, don't you find that it's much more difficult to get that kind of connection and have those kind of conversations if you're men together? Well, I think so, because, um, I mean, to be fair to the men, they've been uh, coached all their life um, in a very, I'm sure, well-meaning way by siblings and parents and teachers. Um, to uh, that, that terrible expression to man up um, and uh, I think does more harm than, than anything else because what you really need to do is you need a human up um, you don't need a man up you need a human up and human up has lots of different building blocks and the building block of humaning up um, was when um, I got a, a phone call from um, Jeff's wife Debbie saying like Jeff can't get out of bed it's Sunday morning Jeff can't get out of bed that, I don't want to, again, use stereotypes and, and, and the like, but let me use a stereotype. Jeff is yeah. South African. He's a, major, he's a major athlete. I mean, a real athlete. He's just been cycling around northern Scotland. He's cycled coast to coast in South Africa. Um, he's he's um, South African in the way you would imagine um, South Africa. Um, but as he once said to me at the end of the day, um, it's the... the it's the reeds and, and, and blades of grass that, that bend in the wind. It's the mighty oaks that crash. Um, and this is a, one of his phrases he used many years later. At that time, he didn't know what the hell was going on. Um, but he couldn't get out of bed. And it, because I'd had the uh, experience of seeing uh, um, a few of my friends uh, go, going through this, uh, not that I'm a doctor, I, I felt immediately that um, I sort of knew where he was. And... Uh, and because he was willing enough to sort of open up uh, to me that he, he was having a problem, um, I obviously then, as his boss, uh, gave him the space to uh, to uh, take time off and, 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 and recover. But we did more than that because um, I spent a lot of time with him, visiting him, chatting to him. Um, he didn't want to feel disconnected from the business, but he, he didn't want to be in the business and the uh, and that sort of stress that um, uh, the, the business was, was, was sort of uh, laying on him. And, and it really made me believe and understand that the most important thing we can be um, is, is, is human um, in, our, in our leadership. Because this is payback tenfold. Because now, by the way, you know, Jeff now is a really close friend of mine. He's no longer working at Unilever. But he went on uh, and in, in, in 2012, uh, a friend of his committed suicide um again a stereotypical uh, uh banker who had everything under control until clearly he didn't um and it made jeff convince himself that he could have a a, a bigger impact if he wasn't working for unilever that actually he left unilever and dedicated himself to jeff mcdonald's consulting as it is called right now um and to go out and help people really talk about and, and bring into the open uh, the notion of, of uh, mental health and help people um, ask for help and help people ask for help. It's, 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 as, it's as simple as that. And, and it, he was part of the catalyst for really changing Unilever's global approach to well-being uh, and mental health. And at the same time, 2008, uh, very tragically, uh, a very close friend of mine, Roger Kerman, who worked for Unilever, uh, committed suicide. Um, and again, un inexplicably to me, because... Roger was an usher at my wedding, um, a lovely man, again, another sports person, uh, very bright, very, very capable, um, and obviously life got far too much for him, and, and you know, he left behind 
uh, a beautiful uh, and lovely uh, wife and uh, three beautiful and lovely uh, children. Um, and it's such a shame. And, and I didn't really identify then. I wasn't close enough to it. I think I might now. But you know, he turned down a few dinner invitations, which wasn't like him. But he seemed to be normal at work. And, and you realise that people are very good at keeping a facade up for, for an extended period of time. And so ask people how they are, especially when you notice they're acting a little bit different um, and, 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 and then saying, no, 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 really, how, how are you? Mm. And when they say, oh, well, it works a bit different. I think the, 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 sort of the three or four questions and, and drilling down, of course, you don't want to get too um, uh, intrusive if you don't know the person well. But I think we all know the people who work around us reasonably well and certainly well enough that when you notice really different behavior changes or mood changes over an extended period of time that you owe it to them and to yourself as a human um, to try and bring it out and, and what we did at Unilever was got senior people to talk about um, mental health and um, you know our head of, of R&D um, David Blanchard talked about his two of his children one of his children who had mental health problems, which he basically felt he couldn't tell anyone about. And at the time, his other child uh, had broken uh, his arm, which he felt very happy to tell people about. He suddenly broken his arm and couldn't do sports. Mm -hmm. And he shared within Unilever, uh, why was that? Um, and, and so we had people, and, and Jeff in Unilever shared his, uh, his journey. And I think he came back a better person, dare I say. Um, 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 still sport and mad and South African, uh, yes. but also I think a, a, a more, more of a human being. And I, I think we can all learn from these episodes. And I learned a huge amount, um, not just from Jeff, but from Unilever and, and from Roger, um, uh, God bless him. And I, I just wish I could wind back the clock. And if I was... The, the, the leader that I am now, back in 2008, maybe I could have uh, done something different, but yeah. um, I just missed yeah. it because I didn't know enough. And that's why I'd love to encourage us more to, to learn. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, it's, that must have been so hard to live through that with your close friend Roger, to have seen the impact on Jeff. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because even, even when you talk about Roger committing suicide, it's an extraordinary expression, isn't it? It's like it's like a something you do again as a as a terrible thing, whereas actually you know, he took his life tragically. Now I wonder why it is when we have you know mental health has very often quite derogatory connotations expressions, whereas physical health, breaking a leg, you know, or, and and the kind of visuals that we have for physical health tend to be very positive, but mental health are not as positive and they're, and they're very difficult. So that stigma runs very deep, even into the words that we use. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, um, and, and I think there's also, uh, maybe it's because we don't understand enough, um, or maybe it's because we're all a little bit frightened um, about it, but there's a hopelessness, um, uh, which maybe comes out in our language. Um, uh, and I think the more you lean into it, maybe the, the easier it is to, to deal with it. And, and you've done a huge amount of brilliant work in this area. So um, I, I, uh, I, I bend to your, your, your better understanding and, and judgment in this. But 
in physical um, health problems, we sort of know that the body will mend. You know, it might not mend 100%, it might be 95%, but yeah, it will mend. Um, but we are less clear on the path of recovery on, on mental health, and it's more invisible as well. And maybe that's the thing that makes people feel uneasy. And that's why I love the idea of uh, talking, and, 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 and we're talking right now about this topic to, to get people to, to think about it. And I also like to think of it in a, in a spectrum uh, as well. So this isn't a binary thing that you know, you're well, you're not well. No, there are, there's a whole spectrum. This is why I think the, the thought around energies really uh, help and, and, and think about your you know, intellectual, emotional, spiritual, physical energy, um, to think about where you're going, things like purpose, and I've done a huge amount of work on purpose in, in Unilever, uh, mm-hmm. and brand purpose and personal purpose, uh, and how that can be um, a, a, a light to draw you um, uh, into the future and, and guide you uh, at how you go. Um, and it, it's, it's only if you get lost on that direction that ultimately it can then conf- you know, fall into uh, a mental health issue. But I think there are signs that can help you avoid those challenges earlier if you are, A, have, have ability to, to pick them up uh, yourself personally or a colleague or a friend, um, or B, have some tools to help you address them. Uh, and this is what I think what we're talking about. Yeah, this, again, and it's, I'm really interested in your perspective on this, Keith, because, and you could argue, look, you're the, Unilever was the second largest, a massive company globally. So to invest money in in purpose, in well-being, in mental health, in, in all this sort of leadership is, is vital. Um, but also you could argue that it's a relatively wealthy company. So of course it would invest in its people in that way. I think the challenge for most organizations is they say, yep, it's important, but it's not that important. We're not really going to spend any money on it. We're not really going to focus, you know, even, even with, with having purpose at the, the, the kind of core of an organization, um, let alone that for people. What is it do you think that still stops organizations really taking this seriously and investing as much time and effort in it as they might some of the other things that they measure at a kind of board level? Yeah, I think um, part of the, the challenges of our business is um, they measure what they treasure um, and, and what gets measured gets done. And, um, and, and you know, business needs to have very clear uh, approaches to um, objectives um, and plans and, and strategy. The, the things that can be measured very concretely are therefore things that, that do get a higher value. And of course, you know, when you think about stakeholders, you know, one of the stakeholders that's been very central to business has been shareholders. Um, and in that, you know, numbers like um, sales, profit, cash flow, costs. These are things that you can, you can measure very easily. Um, and, and when you look at resources that companies have, optimizing your resources, and you're talking about financial resources, um, are, are very clear and evident. And by the way, it's so clear and evident that if you do it badly, you can, that can be seen very quickly and you can be fired. And if you do it well, it can be seen very quickly and you're promoted. And if you go back to the olden days of business, businesses initially were were sort of invented to serve 
people and make some money on the way. You know, the early days of Lord Leverhulme back in the 1800s, uh, he saw the challenge of the dirt and squalor of Victorian England. And he had a purpose statement back then to make cleanliness commonplace, to make cleanliness commonplace. He wanted to take, you know, soap to the masses. And, and to this day, Unilever is still the biggest soap company in the world. So I think he, he probably succeeded. But he, he saw multi-stakeholders. He saw society. He brought in pensions and holidays, etc. I think what happened somewhere in the 80s and 90s, um, business got a little bit lost into selling more stuff. Um, and the selling more stuff, I think, put a lot of pressure onto the numbers um, and, and if you focus on the numbers, somehow they get better. And I don't believe that. I think you have to focus on the things that lead to the numbers and, and they get better. And I think the change of the title of personnel into human resources was a really good step. I don't know whether we totally unpack that enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are humans and they are resources. So, I, you know, if you were overpaying for electricity um, or if you had a factory uh, line which was underperforming um, and you need to have it updated, you would. So why would you overpay for um, the resource, human resource of an underperforming human because you're not investing in them to be at their best more of their time? Most businesses um, uh, um, have human resources as one of their biggest costs and also one of their biggest enablers. So I think um, it's not um, a big business thing. In fact, to be perfectly honest, um, I, you know, one of the things I do right now is I, I um, uh, angel invest in small companies. Small companies really invest uh, in their people because they know they've only got six of them. <laughs> so if they don't succeed, then it falls apart. I think it's, it's the companies in the middle um, that are maybe a most challenge. And I think it comes back to not having a multi-stakeholder approach. One thing that I, I hope will come out of post-COVID um, and you know, governments are now more involved in businesses and the role of society, that businesses, and we did a lot of this work um, because when I was the chief marketing officer of Unilever, I also ran sustainability. So um, environmental and social sustainability. Uh, and I led the development of the Unilever Sustainable Living Plan. And the Unilever Sustainable Living Plan was a multi-stakeholder approach. So we we did, of course, look at business results and, 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 uh, and delivery to shareholders. But we said our first priority is our, is our consumers. And if we serve them uh, well, you know, everything else will, 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 will get better. And, you know, and after our, our, our consumers as our employees and our, our customers and our suppliers, and, and if they all uh, work well, you know, our shareholders will be well rewarded. And this is written down. Um, so it's quite a, an overt uh, statement. And indeed they were. So those 10 years when I was the chief marketing officer of Unilever, our business grew ahead of the market every single year. Um, our business grew in, in profit. Um, and um, uh, we also um, uh, had a, a really positive impact on our share price. It tripled. And this is, as I say, super soap company, not a tech company. It tripled over that period of time. So I think you can get great business results if you take a multi-stakeholder approach and realize that the people who are going to get you there are your employees. And, and no matter how brilliant you are as an individual, you can't do anything uh, unless uh, your employees believe in the future um, and are engaged and working towards that future as much as you are um, and delivering against that future uh, as much as you are. So I, I think it's, um, it's getting this idea of multi-stakeholder approach um, into business. And one of those stakeholders, of course, is employees.
yeah yeah absolutely absolutely uh, and then just finally keith um you know probably the biggest reset that many people who've been in very successful careers like you've been in you know for a long time and that pressured environment of then coming out of that and going into a, a more of a plural working environment I mean you're certainly no less busy I would say um, but you have you know you've you've lost weight you actually seem <laughs> I mean you know, you're, you, I think you've always coped with pressure very well but I wonder whether some of the experiences of of people like Roger, of what you've seen with Jeff, with other of your friends over time, has made you reflect and and over time changed. But also, how are you? How are you looking at your new part of your working life now and, and resetting for the future? Um, well, yes, it is probably actually my, my biggest reset. There, there have been lots of different steps and, and, and chapters in my life, but unlike a lot of people who have gone around and done multiple different types of careers or gone to different companies, um, uh, I, I stayed at Unilever for a, a very long period of time. I, I would say, again, maybe the size of Unilever, it enabled me to have lots of very different experiences uh, around the world. Um, and um, I enjoyed... Um, um, I've got to say, I enjoyed every moment. I enjoyed nearly every moment uh, <laughs> while, while I was there. Um, and I'm still very close to the, the business. But, uh, you know, I, I wasn't getting any younger. Um, in my late 50s, um, I'm lucky enough to now have a lifestyle and resources to not needing a, um, a big uh, salary job to uh, continue my, my, um, my lifestyle. So uh, in that term, um, I'm very fortunate. So I thought... Uh, it had all gone very well, thank you very much. Um, uh, Paul Pullman uh, resigned and left the union, and Paul had put me into my job. The wonderful and marvellous Alan Jope was coming in as leader, uh, and it seemed a, a very good time, because um, I certainly wouldn't want to sign up for another five years uh, uh, to, then, um, to then move on to something different. And I didn't want to sort of wait until I was 65 and then sit in a deck chair and um, and in fact, actually, my grandfather retired and then died the year later, uh, which really? obviously you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I wanted to, to change uh, the way I was doing. Now, you say I'm no less busy. I am a lot less busy, to be clear. Um, right. So I, I work four days a week. Um, and of course, we all dip in a bit outside that. But if you're working in a job um, at the top of a company like Unilever, you know, you're working six plus days a week along with a ton of travel. Um, and you know, when you find yourself in, in hospital in uh, Singapore, um, in the very aptly named um, Glen Eagles Hotel, um, you think, thank God um, I was in Singapore on that particular uh, medical uh, challenge as opposed to uh, many other places I could have been around the world. So you start thinking that, um, and I, you know, I was in the, um, the, uh, uh, the Taj Mahal um, Hotel, the Taj Hotel, um, um, terrorist uh, crisis as well. So you start thinking about how lucky oh my gosh, I'm... all these things we haven't talked about, Keith. <laughs> me. How lucky am I going to be? Uh, so, uh, and I've loved being the CMO of Unilever. I think it literally is the best job in, in, in Unilever. Um, and um, so, yes, I've got a portfolio career. So I have the business bit. Um, and so I am a non executive director of WPP, which is the largest marketing, advertising um, company uh, in the world, going through transformation, as indeed the industry is. Um, 
Uh, I'm annoyed, uh, uh, unsurprisingly, I, um, I co-chair the uh, Sustainability Committee, uh, which has just been set up. So um, still building my sustainability. Sustainability, as you'll see, will run through a lot of what I'm doing. Um, I am a non-executive director of Sainsbury's. So sort of two FTSE 100 companies where I'm on the sustainability and corporate responsibility committee uh, as well. Uh, I'm an advisor. So um, uh, Keith Weed Limited, I'm an advisor to different companies, whether it be um, startups like Tribe, uh, Great uh, Business or McLaren Formula One, uh, and uh, also to private equity. So I've got sort of a business thing, but, but that's about only half what I do. Um, what I've consciously done is uh, sort of uh, look at civil society and how I can, um, that, that corny phrase, give back. But it is actually, it's, it's sort of things I've enjoyed over the years and, and how I can help. So um, I'm on the board and a trustee of Business in the Community, which is the responsible business network. There's fantastic stuff about helping businesses contribute to the broader society and the role they have, dare I say, with a multi-stakeholder approach, uh, yes. <laughs> engaging with the, the societies they serve. And I really believe you can't have a healthy business in an unhealthy society. Um, I'm also um, president of the Advertising Association. So uh, this is carrying on a little bit of, of trying to uh, address some of the challenges we have in the uh, advertising and marketing industry. And I've been doing uh, quite a bit of work uh, in, in that area, especially around COVID. Um, uh, there's lots of challenges in the advertising industry. I'm also president of the Historic Advertising Trust, which is a fantastic charity, um, which does work from um, uh, uh, having an archive of, of the, the largest advertising archive uh, in, in the world through to dementia patients. Um, and surprisingly, they can remember the 30-second TV ad they saw uh, many, many times decades ago, even if they can't remember uh, their, their child. But um, not to go too much into that, but it's another great charity. Um, but the one that I'm, I'm, I'm uh, very proud to become president and chairman of the board of is the Royal Horticultural Society, the RHS. So that's the, the RHS Chelsea Flower Show. And, oh, and, and, and it's just, uh, it's just such an amazing... My, as I've told you before, my mum and I, for the last 15 years, on the Wednesday morning, she's an RHS, very proud RHS member, have been to Chelsea every year, apart from one when I had a Macmillan board meeting and I couldn't not go um, on that Wednesday and go to Chelsea together. It's a very important part of my life. And um, it's an extraordinary, brilliant well, charity, I guess, but uh, organisation, isn't it? Yes, and I, I think stories are big to life. And yes, it is a charity, I hasten to add, and it has... Uh, this year, it will lose £18 million pounds worth of income it would have had. So like so many charities, it's in a very challenged uh, time. But of course, it does stand for the you know, quality of fantastic gardening and horticulture and the shows and the gardens. Um, but uh, again, I think there's a huge opportunity uh, here to, to bring sustainability in a much more active way. Gardeners, what's more, more green than being in your garden? But you won't be surprised, um, mental and, and physical health, you know, being out in the garden, doing something. Yeah. We're building a new garden up at Bridgewater uh, near Manchester. Um, and, and what's interesting there is we've got, um, we're trying something with local doctors who are actually prescribing working in the garden um, in that gap between someone who's had a mental health challenge, but is not yet well enough to go back to work, to get them doing something again getting them out into a garden. It's fantastic, nurturing nature, seeing things um, uh, grow and, and, and also a bit of physical um, uh, exercise as well. So, so I'm president of the RHS, 
uh, and then I'm also a trustee of Grange Park Opera, which is, um, uh, uh, not, um, we built a new opera house a few years ago um, uh, in Surrey, and it's a, a country house uh, opera, and it's, um, uh, again, I think a wonderful sort of spiritual way of, of in, engaging people uh, in the arts. And then um, I'm also doing a little bit of work with the uh, cabinet office. And last but not least is um, uh, angel investor. So I'm an angel investor in five startups right now. And um, I'm going to slowly build it up to maybe about 10. Um, but uh, I'm enjoying that. But the main reason for doing that is to keep myself relevant. So all I'm investing in is, are things on the tech side um, and everything from marketing through to um, uh, gig economy and data, uh, uh, et cetera. So uh, a portfolio which... Uh, it's balanced between um, sort of not-for-profits um, and business. Um, and, um, uh, and yeah, it's a, ma a major reset for me, but I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. I love the diversity. Um, I love that I can have a, a theme that runs through all of these around sustainability, environmental and social sustainability, um, and also a theme that runs through all these about inclusion and, and diversity. And, um, and I'd put these sort of the mental health and well-being under social sustainability in, in my sort of uh, language so it sort of fits together um, and it's um, no it's very exciting and very very different from what I was doing before yeah amazing amazing and amazing you can do all that in four days Keith well done <laughs> I can't believe that now just before we go I need to ask you about Taj Mahal because I didn't know about this tell me what happened were you there when it was bombed or were you there near near that time so um, uh, I was staying in the, the Taj um, uh, the team were all there there was um, a person in reception um, uh, waiting to greet me from the airport. I'd been down to Bangalore uh, that day. Uh, mm -hmm. The whole of the Unilever board were there in the um, in the ballroom. Um, so uh, Paul was uh, taking over. Paul Paul was taking over from Patrick Sesco. Uh, they were up in uh, meeting in, in one of the ballrooms, um, and um, along with the whole board of Unilever um, and um, uh, and my laundry team were, were there uh, and staying there. And I'd been down to, to Bangalore um, and I'd come back uh, and the plane luckily was delayed. Um, and um, as we drove into the airport, they had literally just struck um, and, and had gone through reception. And we know, we know the Taj well. Uh, our Indian business is a very large uh, business where they came from. And, and people at the door just screamed at the drivers, you know, drive, drive, drive. Um, and we had this little convoy of, of um, I suppose, four or five cars. Um, so we, we drove off. But then, by then, there were bombs in the, in, in the, um, in the roads, etc. So we went off through the slums, which in itself is quite uh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, but I had another team in the Hyatt, in, the, in, in um, uh, my oral care team, my dental team in the Hyatt. So we managed, and they closed down all the, the hotels. Um, and um, we managed to uh, talk our way into the Hyatt because I knew the names of the people who were staying in the Hyatt by using their names. Right. Uh, and then I got all the, the dental team out of bed and paired people up with the laundry team who we had in the car and put them to bed. And then I was up all night along with Jeff McDonald again, uh, mm. uh, talking to people who were still in the hotel, uh, including, of course, my CEO, Patrick Sesco, because I was then the person who said, ah, sort of take command outside the hotel because everyone was in the hotel. Um, and they, you know, they, you know, and they kept what? So they kept them in the hotel. So if they were in the hotel, they stayed in the hotel. And if, as you were out of the hotel, you were out. 
Uh, yeah, so I, I was out, uh, but um, you know, so uh, you know, they literally locked the doors of the room they were in, as is Patrick and uh, and um, and literally heard the terrace rattling the doors. They turned the lights off, went under the table, rattling the doors, and then going to the room next door and heard people being shot in the room next door. Oh um, and um, and the person who was greeting me um, uh, in reception um, shows the level of fear. As they came in with their guns, he turned. And he turned so fast, he ruptured his Achilles and fell on the floor, which in, 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 saved himself because um, then they shot a lot of people in reception. And he crawled into a cupboard where he stayed for the next uh, 36 hours. So after it was over, we were you know, scouring the hospitals trying to find this particular person. Um, and he just stayed in that cupboard, you know, too terrified to, cut, to come out. And you can imagine, you talk about men, mental health issues, he had, had a few challenges following that. Uh, but um, uh, but how, did, how did you how did you at that moment? Oh, it, it was it was tremendously traumatic. But it's amazing how you you click in, you know. Because I I had to speak to wives of people who are in, you know. And when the fire started, you know, I had one person who who was um, in the in the old part and 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 said, uh, you know, stay in your room is what we told everybody. He said, I can see smoke coming under my my door. You know, what do I do? And I said, look, I honestly don't know what to do, but let me tell you what I've seen in the movies. This is basic as that, is get a load of towels, get them wet. If you want to go, wrap yourself and your body in the towels and, in the air and go, or stay in your room, you know, because the, 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 the advice is stay in your room. But if you, if you do feel you need to go, you know, that'll do. And, and very, very sadly, on that same corridor, the manager of the hotel's wife and children stayed in the room and were burned to death. So if he hadn't left that room, um, uh, so he did get out and got to the fire, uh, uh, etc. And then everyone was coming back to the Hyatt. So I was greeting people back at the Hyatt, but there was another person on the 15th floor and, and, and sort of trapped there. And his wife kept saying, I can see on the news, you know, fire engines, you know, can't they put a ladder up to him? And, and you know, then you're saying, well, he's on the 15th floor, you know, the answer is no, you know, and, but I was speaking to them all through the night and basically just rolling from all the people I had trapped in, in the uh, Taj. But you actually become, well, certainly I become, you become very calm in some way because you have to be. And we got people together every hour in the Hyatt just to give them an update and, of course, celebrate as each person came out and, 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 uh, and joined us. So we sort of piece by piece got uh, people out. And, and, and I should say that it was the Indian army who got the board out um, uh, ultimately, but I was more focused on getting the laundry team out because the Indian business was focused on getting the, the, the board out. But it was a very traumatic um, period of time where, of course, back to physical energy, I didn't sleep for uh, um, quite a considerable period of time um, and had to uh, keep, uh, keep going. But you, le you, learn from, you learn from these things. And, and, and the great news is, is no one um, got um, uh, injured uh, physically, but yes, we do have uh, people who were hugely impacted mentally, and uh, and some who left Unilever and had to do a different life following that because um, they they couldn't get their mind around being in that situation. Yeah, gosh, I'm not surprised. Well, thank you for sharing that, Keith. It's been an absolute pleasure. You know, you talked about energy and you know, the mental well-being, the physical well-being of people, the spiritual well-being. Um, I always love the phrase, be a radiator or a drain. And you are one of the best radiators that I know. It's been an absolute joy to talk to you. Thank you very much. 
and I've joyed to you as well. Thank you very much, Suki.